0: Before we go into this week's episode, we're kicking off 2021 with another Level Up Gaming Giveaway. That's right, we're giving away a physical copy of FIFA 21 on PlayStation, which includes both PS4 and PS5 versions of the game. Best of all, the competition is completely free to enter. All you need to do is follow our Twitter account, at Level Up Pod, then retweet the pinned competition tweet to enter. Entry to the competition is restricted to one entry per person, Multiple entries will be disqualified. This competition is open to UK residents only with a UK postal address aged 18 and over. The competition closes at 3pm GMT on Wednesday, January 20th 2021. There will be one winner of the competition with the prize being one physical copy of Fever 21, which includes both PS4 and PS5 versions of the game. The winner will be selected at random from all correct entries after the closing date and will be contacted through Twitter to arrange delivery. Standard competition rules apply. See mirrorcouk forward slash rules for more information. Good luck. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode I spoke with Saul Ashen, Esports Executive at Manchester City, New York City FC and Melbourne City. Saul joined me to discuss Man City's esports strategy and how they want to become the biggest football club in esports. We also touched on esports player welfare, the growth of esports and the future of the industry too. We also discussed his role at Man City and what it entails, including details on how Saul manages their professional esports players to support their success. Enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome Saul Ashen. Saul, uh, how you doing? You okay?
1: I'm not too bad, mate. Happy to be here. First time ever doing a podcast. So it should be fun and looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, welcome. I mean, um, it's, it's going to be great to chat with you about all things Man City Esports because I know they're a major player in esports now and, and they're getting more and more involved. So it's great. It'll be great to hear from from the club point of view what the plans are and to talk about what you do in, in your role. But I mean, um, first of all, how's, how has lockdown been treating you? I mean, as we speak, we're in the third UK lockdown. How are you finding it?
1: I mean, I think lockdown wise, I've been incredibly lucky in terms of COVID. I finished my well, I was due to finish my A levels over the summer in May and June and instead they were cancelled, which meant I was able to apply for the Man City job and get it. So I'm um, I feel I mean, I feel incredibly blessed in that I was lucky enough to find a job and a career during COVID. This most recent lockdown hasn't been terrible because um We've had so much competition that i've had very little free time whatsoever but it has been a shame while a lot of my friends are home from uni you know not many chances to go out or do anything so yeah it's been tough
0: yeah i mean i mean every cloud like you said so you you wouldn't have applied for the man city role if your a levels were going ahead is that do you think
1: i think the posting was maybe in april and um obviously that was about a month after we'd gone into lockdown at which point I'd told all my friends, I was certain that we weren't doing exams. I'd convinced myself there was no way. So I hadn't done any schoolwork at that point. And it was purely focused on how I was going to make esports a full-time employment. You know, I'd had offers from a couple of other orgs, but then I applied for the City job. And so it was just a case of waiting and holding out on those orgs until I heard back from City. But yes, absolutely. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, I would not be at Man City because I still would have been revising and working for A-levels.
0: So at least some positives come out of what what has been, I mean, what was a, a pretty bad 2020 for everyone at least it's yeah. benefited some people. And obviously we, we saw a massive rise in interest in esports, how it kind of hit the mainstream. And when there was no football on, there was no other sports on. Esports kind of led the way because of how, of how agile it was, the ability to play remotely, that kind of um it really kind of made people see the benefits of it and took it more seriously, I think. So I think that was a major positive and I'm glad you you've got in, involved in the industry as well. So um, just to introduce that, um, Saul, do you just want to talk about um, what you do at Man City and your role?
1: Um, so Man City, job title, esports executive, doesn't really give much information other than it's esports. So my main and primary responsibility is I manage our professional FIFA players, that being our two players at Manchester City, Ryan and Shells, our two players in New York City FC being Josh Squirrel Ban and um, Chris NYC Chris Holly. And then in Melbourne, I also manage two professional FIFA players, Marcus Gomes and Mike J. Then on top of that, I'm obviously helping with our esports strategy going forward, trying to expand into sort of more games and do bigger things in the esports space because FIFA is just the beginning for us, I think, um, as well as, you know, certain other little bits of strategy, particularly our, our partnership with FaZe Clan, what we can do with that and where we can go with it.
0: Man City is just one kind of element, isn't it? So you've got the City Football Group, which has a lot of different clubs within it. So is it you're involved in three clubs, Man City, New York City and Melbourne City? That's the, the kind of main three clubs you you get involved in.
1: Yeah, so I'm, my responsibilities lie primarily, I mean, number one, due to sort of content reasons, Man City. But I'm equally, on the FIFA front, I'm equally split between Man City, Melbourne City and New York City FC. Then, of course, some of the other city football clubs, for example, Girona and the Marinos in Japan also have players. So I'm in touch with those players. We chat now and then. But it's not my responsibility to manage and look after them. They have staff over there. That help with that. I'm across those three clubs as my formal responsibilities.
0: When you say manage the players, a lot of people listening or kind of won't really know what that means. You just want to explain that in a bit more detail. Like what what you have to do with the players and what your kind of responsibilities to them are.
1: Definitely an interesting question. I I describe it often as a glorified babysitter because I think what a lot of people fail to understand is <laughs> these guys are professional athletes, and when you're a professional athlete. You've got training, you've got media commitments, you've got equipment to go and pick up. You've got all these things. You need to be able to just focus 100% on your job, which your job is to be amazing at the game, is to fulfill your media requirements, whether that's doing a Zoom interview, like sitting down for a two hour shoot on Zoom, traveling to Manchester for a photo shoot, whatever it is, you need someone who's gonna look after you and just enable you to do your job to the absolute best of your abilities. So for example, if we've got a shoot in Manchester one day, which unfortunately don't right now due to COVID, um, I'm messaging the boys, okay, here's the address of our hotel, here's what time your train is. I'm gonna be there with your train tickets at XYZ time. This is what we're doing for the shoot. Here's the brief for the shoot. Familiarize yourself, please. I'm in contact with the guys up in Manchester. This is when we are getting here, have, this ready for them can you have meals ready for them a setup for example we had a shoot in London a few months ago can we have this ready for them it's the day before the FIFA shoot the day before the FIFA launch I should say so we've got to be playing FIFA you know we need to be on it and opening packs because all the pros have to open a lot of FIFA points at the start of the year have consoles ready for us with TVs it's about having someone who just puts everything in place around for you and gives you the environment and the structure in which to just do your job which is to perform and to fulfill media requirements primarily
0: it kind of allows them to focus on the job that they're employed to do rather than all the the small things around it that might distract them when when it gets into a competition for example they're not having to worry about oh what where's my controller or what tv am i going to use or whatever you're kind of handling all those little things for them so they can focus on on their main job
1: yeah exactly and in the same vein you know if they need to speak to ea about something tell me the issue you know i'll give my give my contacts at ea a call negotiate the issue work out what the solution is get back to them with the simplified version you know it's about giving them the absolute bare minimum to do you know letting them focus entirely on being fantastic at playing fifa Because that's their job and that's what we want them for. I don't want them wasting time going out to Argos and buying a controller or missing a train on the way to a shoot, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and does that stretch into kind of competitions and tournaments as well? Because some of the tournaments I've been looking at on Twitter, especially in recent days, in terms of knowing which players are involved in which competition, which console it's on, um, where you enter the competition, what, what time... the different rounds are starting is that something that you're having to kind of do for them as well to work out where they need to be at what time and where they're playing stuff like that
1: definitely i would say it's not as big of a thing this year with the lack of live events because obviously there's a lot more logistics when we've got airplanes to catch when we've got hotels to check into etc etc but this year more so it's just such a packed schedule with so much online play that it's getting on top of their organization. I have calendars that I write up for them with times and dates of everything they need to be doing. You know, we have calls every week updating on what the plan is for the week. And I'll send out messages at the start of most days, sort of giving them their schedule for the day, what they're gonna get up to on that day. You know, okay, we've got a one-on-one at 2 p.m. Uh, we're doing a Zoom shoot for an interview with this brand at 4 p.m., for example. And then five thirty PM, we're going to get on and warm up for qualifiers. Seven PM, we're playing qualifiers. That sort of thing. They're very busy, and as a result, they need someone to help them organise, know where they need to be and when.
0: A lot of people are going to make comparisons, aren't they? With I mean, with professional athletes, and we were just talking previously about your player Ryan Pessoa, who's recently been on on the podcast, a friend of the podcast. And um, he was a fantastic guy. One of the best guests we've had On in terms of how he articulates what he does and talking about eSports as a whole. How difficult is it to manage these players? Or if I put it a different way, how easy is it with these with these players? Or is there some, some that are harder than, other, than others to keep on time, for example?
1: I think um, it's very difficult. I'm stretched across three time zones, right? Three wildly different time zones with Melbourne, New York City and London with both of our Manchester players being based in London. So it's definitely hard um, to keep up with because I'm basically converting times in my head to Eastern time in New York and to two different time zones in Australia constantly, but there's definitely some who are easier than others, but not because anyone's difficult. You know, for example, Ryan, who often has a lot of brand commitments and jobs with EA tends to be more busy on the content side than another. But then someone else might qualify for more events and be more busy with broadcasts uh, where they're competing. So it really depends. I think I'm very lucky in that all of my boys right now, they really cooperate. They turn up to all their meetings. They're not late for big commitments with EA or for tournaments. And most of all, we're an organization where our roster currently there's no ego whatsoever, which a big challenge as a manager, of course, is dealing with big egos, be that in football or FIFA, you know. We've seen what Thomas Tuchel has said recently about how he felt like the PSG job was more being an ambassador and looking after various political interests than being a football manager. But um, I think I've brought in two players and already there was a roster of four players. But i feel altogether there's very little ego and everyone's there to work together and collaborate and improve everyone wants to see each other winning
0: and i just want to talk about as well because you've got a great view on it having having such close contact with these players i mean a lot of people if they're new to esports they might just think that esports players all they do is play games. They might just stay in their bedroom all day playing FIFA, not getting any exercise, not eating the right foods. Um, you know, it's, there's a typical view, isn't there, of esports players? I think it's changing that kind of outdated view. But what would you say about the professionalism of the players that are at Man City and and their commitment to their job?
1: Our players are athletes, and it's as simple as that for me. You know, they're treated accordingly. We've got Edgar who's our fantastic esports mental performance coach. He's a great sports psychologist who works with the boys for an hour every week individually. And I think we're already seeing massive benefits from his work and I can't wait to continue working with him. I think we've got some of the mentally strongest players in the scene now. And I think on top of that, there's the nutrition is huge. I think a lot of our guys are putting more and more effort into eating well and into eating for exercise as well, because a lot of them have been going to the gym recently. I feel particularly during COVID times when the gyms had reopened, but there still wasn't a lot to do outside. It's a really good space to go and clear your mind, work hard and just sort of step away from the console for a while. Because I know lots of people have weights at home or do a home workout, but going next door isn't truly when you're, it's it's, it's a stressful life being a professional athlete. You know, a lot of a lot of your work is performance related and that's the case in any job but on such a bigger scale, you know, in the same way that a footballer gets dropped if they're bad for 10 games in a row, it's how it works. You've got to be performing well and we support our players in that, but it doesn't mean that it's not a stressful and tough career. You want to be winning no matter what, no matter how much your organization supports you or is patient with you, you as a competitor got into this because you wanted to win and that that drive and passion hasn't ever left our players. So I feel the gym's a really good place to go and work and make sure you're feeling healthy in your body and your mind. You know, when you're playing FIFA, you want to feel energetic. You don't want to feel sluggish and a bit sloppy. You want to be zoned in, energetic, focused. And I think the gym is somewhere that um, really helps our players with that.
0: Yeah, we, we talked a lot on this podcast about the similarities between esports and traditional sports, if you like. The fact that, obviously... Players you manage aren't actually kicking a ball around a pitch or r- running after um, through balls. But in terms of the mental side of the game, in terms of pressure and tournaments, performing in the right moments representing your club there's a lot of similarities with traditional sports and how mentally strong you have to be because talent is only half the battle really in terms of being successful either in traditional sports or esports what what do you make of that kind of the similarities between esports and traditional sports and and do you think that's becoming more mainstream now people are recognizing esports as a more serious and mainstream thing
1: I think on your first point, what I find interesting is that a lot of people don't put the mental side of the game, be whatever sport that may be in, they don't put that down as a talent, right? And I find that really interesting because for me, the mental side of the game, whether that's pressure, whether that's getting wound up and angry, whether that's nerves, is part of talent. Part of your talent is how well you can produce your top level in the competitive environment. Part of talent is how well you can mentally deal with the situation and how well you can produce your ceiling, your highest level in a competitive environment, as well as just how gifted with a football you are or how gifted with a controller you are
0: there's a lot of a lot of players yeah. out there who've got massive amounts of talent but if you haven't got the mentality and the consistency in your performance and the ability to unlock that on a on a consistent basis then you're not going to reach the top and I think that's where people like Tex MS Dasari, mm-hmm. they I mean every FIFA game is completely different right it has different metas different ways of playing the game but Every year we see the same people at the top of the leaderboards and that's no coincidence. Yes, they've got talent, but their mentality and the way they work and the amount of hours they put into practice, that's just as important as just the talent that you're born with. You need to put hard work in as well.
1: Yeah, I think another thing that I find interesting about that is the influence, having those older, more experienced influences who have been there and... For example, in our squads right now, our two youngest players, uh Josh Squirrel, who's just turned nineteen at New York City FC, and Mike J, who's just turned eighteen at Melbourne City. We've structured those squads so they have that older, more experienced influence at Melbourne. We've got Marcus Gomes, he's twenty three, he's been to the he's been to the FIFA World Cup, the FIFA E World Cup, he's been at that top level, New York City, Chris Holly, won he's e Champions League reigning champion, he's been at that top level. Um, and if you look at, uh, in real life, a player like Bukayo Saka, who's actually burst onto the scene and been able to maintain that level, when he becomes a key part of the squad and becomes someone that his team look to for a flash of brilliance in a tough game. I think he's had those older, older influences. He's had Hector Bellerin, for example, who I think is a great player. You can see on the pitch, I, we don't see behind the scenes, but I think just in the, on the pitch, in the dugout, you see he's that older influence. He talks to them, he'll put an arm around them have a chat and help them out, you know, and have that older influence who really helps you settle in and deal with the stresses and pressures of becoming a key player from having just been a wonder kid that everyone's excited about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know you mentioned uh, Delhi Ali before, and um, obviously he's been on the podcast in a previous episode about joining XL Esports as an ambassador um, recently. Yeah. And uh, the more I think about that, the more it makes sense that professional footballers and professional athletes should get more involved in esports organisations because XL have got a, a young kid called Wolfies, I think like 17, yeah. 18. Um, he's an incredible Fortnite pro. He's got loads of talent. He's he's crazy. If you watch any of his streams, he's just unbelievable. But when he's going through a difficult moment, imagine being able to chat with Deli Ali about pressure and about how to overcome different obstacles and what do I do now? What do I do with the limelight? Um, what do I do with this pressure? Imagine having that someone that experienced a turn to. It. I think it just makes sense. The way you talk about having the mentors as well, I think that's something we're going to see more and more within esports, definitely.
1: I think um I think I find what you said they're quite interesting actually because right now in a lot of um senior positions at uh the tier 1 esports organizations of the world you see ex pros you know not ex executives and CEOs from foot clubs and other mainstream sports but you know ex CS:GO pros and other ex Dota pros other old games that have been going so long and have been in esport for so long and I find that really interesting because I feel like we're at a stage now where in eSports we're really growing, but the top guys, the sort of um, the men and women at the top of the company, sort of CEOs, chief gaming officers, head of team operations, are still very close to the players. You know you'll still be having a chat with your top players, you'll still be talking to them. And I find that really interesting because I get messages now and then from you know people from the sports world, people from the business world who are trying to get into eSports and I just think you don't get it at all from the way they t- the, from the way they speak from the way they discuss esports I think you don't understand this industry and it's no wonder that these ex pros who don't have experience at the top level of any company you know they're not experienced leadership um individuals but they get esports and if you're intelligent enough and you get it then you can pick up that role but I think these sort of 45, 50, 60-year-old senior officials who've worked at the top level in traditional sports don't understand the differences in the industry and that you need to understand the game and that you need to be close to the players and really work with them and show them players' love. It really has to be a family in Esports Org for a player to feel comfortable and be ready to perform. And I think that's something that they're lacking a lot and that we see... I mean, just an example, uh, Danny Engels, who I know is very active right now in Fortnite and in a couple of other esports, being head of team operations at G2 Esports, he's an ex-SIM racer and he gets it. He understands being a player in a way that, for example, I'm just going to pull a job title out of it, thin air here, you know, chief marketing officer, ex-chief marketing officer of Leeds United can't understand that.
0: obviously being at man city and working with the these esports pros obviously we we've seen a lot of man city players get involved in streaming particularly sergio aguera who was involved in the f1 esports series at the start of the year and um he's been streaming a lot of, of fifa and stuff um is that is that something that your esports pros look at um and and look at how he's performing and how he conducts himself is that something that that you can have access to maybe
1: I think right now things are very difficult with COVID, unfortunately, but we're very fortunate that we're a club that, in fact, has a lot of players who are very into their gaming and into their eSports. Of course, Sergio leading the way. I mean, he has his own eSports org. He streams on Twitch loads, particularly, of course, when the Premier League was off. Um, but also, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is very into it. Kyle Walker is a big gamer. Zach Stefan, Emmerich Laporte um and they're definitely people we look to lean on when we're doing content i think in the future with phase city projects we'd love to have more involvement from them nate hill of course one of phases fortnite pros pros and streamers um has played with both kyle laporte and uh, kdb quite a lot and they get on well and it's produced some really good content so it's definitely really beneficial having several players who are so openly into their gaming
0: and I suppose it helps as well, doesn't it? That these the players they, because they're so into it, they respect the sports pros, don't they? Because they respect how hard it is to be successful at the game, so they kind of bring that that other level of respect to say generic football fans, for example. If if a Man City football fan um, sees I don't know um, a remote Laporte, for example, or Carl Walker, or Foden, or Aguero playing FIFA or being associated with FIFA, and they're talking about how Difficult it is, and how good esports is. That just brings—it's going to bring a bit more reputation, isn't it, to esports as, as a whole, and bring new fans in as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's definitely it's a big boost to our players, and also it's a big boost to the content and to how our fans, our Man City fans, who are fans on the football side, view esports and how they begin to understand it. And the players are really getting into it. I think there was even the guys who aren't as into gaming we were really lucky with our eSports kit photo shoot because on the player appearance day, Ake um, just noticed it on the floor in the Astro from an earlier shoot and went, oh, can I can I throw that on and take a few photos? And so we had some photos from Ake for the <laughs> shoot. And I think our players are great at getting involved like that. I was listening to um, a couple of football YouTubes. I think it was maybe Theo Baker and Cal Frizi talking about um, who the best footballers they filmed with were. And they were saying that Man City was just um, fantastic because they arrived, everyone looked after them, you know, they had social media managers there, they had assistants there, PR people there, and the players were really into it and happy. And I think that's really interesting because it's about not overworking your players on player appearance days, letting them do things that they're going to enjoy. Of course, there's always commitments to be completed. There's always things you need to do for brands and interviews, but I think... um, ensuring that players enjoy player appearance days is the absolute best way to create good content if players are in a bad mood and they've had a really really long day hours on end of media and interviews and being asked the same questions over and over it's going to create bad content it's that simple and i think that's something we really look to avoid with our esports content too so if we've got uh as it is now we've got a zoom shoot you know, we'll arrive to the Zoom, we'll make sure we're pretty early and we'll just sit there and have a chat for a bit. Everyone will have a laugh and we'll just get into that mood of being sat together, having a laugh and enjoying ourselves having a chat. And then it's very easy to transition into that content because for want of a better word, the vibes are already good. Everyone's sort of quite up and happy and uplifted having a chat. And it means everyone's in a good mood for the content, which I think is interesting. I'm really going off on a tangent here, but I think it is interesting, the content thing.
0: No, that's definitely interesting to hear, kind of, like like you said, the vibes in Man City, really, and how open the players are in terms of the the esports and the the types of content. But I just want to talk about the Man City esports as a whole for a second, if that's all right. Um, I was looking through the first time that Man City eSports competed as an org on its own was 2016 um, in the FIFA scene and and since then you've had agreements with the likes of FaZe Clan obviously Puma have got involved with the with the new eSports kit that was launched last year you've got various sponsors and things all over the world that are getting involved in the eSports team can you do, what can you tell us about Man City's eSports strategy and and where Man City eSports wants to be and how they're going to get there
1: Yeah, I think, um, just quickly, what you say about Puma there is really interesting. I think we're really lucky that Puma are the main team kit sponsor because Puma recently have been really excited and up for esports. I know they also sponsor Cloud9, one of the huge American orgs, of course, and they've done a line, a big drop with them recently, some very exciting new products. So it's great to have Puma on board. Um, The wider esports strategy, I think definitely long-term, we want to be the biggest football club in esports, Obviously, right now, you've got all like PSG are miles ahead of all other football teams. I'm perfectly happy to say that, you know, they've got a team in League of Legends and a team in Dota and they made League of Legends worlds. That's universes away from FIFA. universes away. It's incredible from them. Very, very impressive. But we're on our way and we're definitely, there's only so much I can say. We're looking at, we're exploring other games. We're definitely looking at some options We're relatively limited in where we can go, but there's definitely some big esports that we're interested in and keen to move into. And would you be involved
0: in the recruitment of players as well? If you were going into a different eSport, would you be involved in looking at which players to bring in?
1: It definitely, um, it depends. So, for example, say we were to sign a League of Legends team. I'm not saying we are. Let me be very clear. With um, regional regional formats, say it was a European team we were looking for, I'd definitely be involved. But then, for example, in an esports like league, say we were to go somewhere in Asia, for example, China or Vietnam, just as two examples, I I probably wouldn't be involved. I would definitely oversee, and I'd be in contact, presumably, with an agency or an organisation or a new employee over there. But I definitely wouldn't be involved because I don't speak any of the languages. So it really depends on the game and the the language spoken in the territory we want to we want to sign a team.
0: So if you were involved in you know, if you were looking at a different esport and you were looking at players yourself, what type what, what would you be looking for within players to sign for Man City in terms of their ability, their mentality, what they're like? Have you got a certain profile that you'd like in terms of to fit into the Man City family, if you like?
1: I think there's definitely a lot that I've learned from FIFA on that front. So first things first, of course, I want someone who's incredible at the game, you know? Whether you've produced it on a competitive level yet, whether you haven't been able to due to your, the mental side of your game, that's okay, but I need to see that you've got incredible talent on the game. You don't, As I say, it can be mainly potential. It doesn't have to have been produced at the top level yet, but there's got to be some raw talent there to work with. Beyond that, very little ego. I'm not interested in having egos on my team ever. Um, that's not something that I believe is important on a team. I think sometimes it's something you have to work with. For example, if you get a chance to pick up this, once again, this is purely theoretical, if you get a chance to pick up the best CS player in the world and you think they've got a bit of an ego on them, as a manager, sometimes that's something you're gonna have to negotiate and work with because if it gives your team the best chance to win, that's the decision you have to make, even though it might make your own life difficult. On the whole, though, like to avoid ego. I don't think it's healthy and I don't think it's beneficial, particularly in a team environment. Beyond that, hard work. You know, I need to see you putting in the hours. It's not a case of... Um, there's no yeah buts. There's no yeah buts. It's are you putting in the hours? Are you working hard to be where you want to be? There's also attitude things. There's a lot of attitude things. Just a positive attitude in general. I see a lot of FIFA players who just like to sit on Twitter and moan, and I understand it. I get it. We we play a game that is very um, AI-based compared to your standard esports, and that is incredibly frustrating. But um, I find that you need that positive attitude because if you're on Twitter all day spreading negative energy, you may still perform well, but I don't doubt the fact that you could perform better if you stayed positive and invested that energy in working hard or maybe if you've already finished your practice for the day. Going out for a walk, clearing your mind after a stressful day or making some healthy food rather than sitting on Twitter moaning about the state of the game, which is frustrating and is a real problem we have, but isn't going to win you trophies moaning about it.
0: Again, there's a lot of similarities in there with traditional sports about it's, it, there's that dilemma, isn't there? All the way through football, we look at all football clubs. Really, there's all there's always a player there who is, you know, extreme talented, but is the is that are the is the attitude right? Um, have mm-hmm. they got too big an ego? And and that's the kind of the it's it's gonna be a constant theme, isn't it, with esports about how getting the right types of people and the the right mentality, and obviously, like you said, the right talent as well that you can that you can work with.
1: Yeah, and I think. Part of it is my job, you know. Part of it is the manager working with them and developing that. So it's partly that thing about um, how you work with the player and improving their attitude and working with them on it. But it also has to be a good push from their side that they want to fix it and work on it too.
0: Yeah, because I see a lot of... Especially within FIFA, the FIFA scene, watching a lot of the esports stuff, if you... There's a lot of players out there who they are on the cusp of something and you can see they've got the talent, but they, they might just need that that bit of extra tuition or that bit of extra experience or someone just to give them a bit a bit more, that kind of edge in their game to make them more successful. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's half the battle, isn't it? If you could get someone like that in and you can mould them into a more rounded pro and and get them to a high level that's the dream isn't it for, for any kind of sports yeah, manager if you absolutely. can get someone it's on the cusp you can see they're ju- they're nearly there
1: yeah no absolutely I think that's definitely something that we're looking to do with two of our new signings this year and are already beginning to be successful with Josh Ban or also known as squirrel at New York City FC you know he's just turned 19 he's performed he performed really well last year he was ranked I think 41st in the world. Um, and qualified for a couple of major events but I think this year for him is really about pushing on and establishing himself as one of the best in the in North America, hopefully the best and um, one of the best in the world and really making a name for himself on the global scene and being respected globally as one of the best.
0: I forget how young these players are as well like when you when you talk about the ages of some of the, the players involved like we talked about Wolfies earlier he earned a crazy amount of money for for someone that young i think i think people forget that don't they these are just young men and women trying to earn a career if you like to try and be successful and the the pressure that's on them I think it's great that a, a, a massive club like Man City has got someone like you and and you've got a mental coach as well to help them because imagine if you were that kind of that young and you joined an org with no support at all and you were just expected yeah. to go out and get results that's not a healthy environment isn't it for for someone that a, young
1: Sorry um I think it's a real issue in Fortnite right now I think of course esports pros are always people who've got too big of an audience and too much money and too much pressure for their age in traditional terms right there's no way that um there's never there should never have been a way that 17 year olds were competing for millions under with hundreds of thousands of people watching them it's fantastic and i'm really happy for them but it is an incredible amount of stress pressure money exposure to deal with for someone that age with that little life experience um and I think Fortnite's just made that even more apparent with the lowering of the minimum age ahead of World Cup in 2019 to yeah. 13. I mean, we've had 14-year-old superstars, which, once again, fantastic for them, very happy for them, but it's an incredibly young age to have that stress and pressure and exposure and mental health-wise, I think what I was getting onto there is you've got these orgs coming into Fortnite now, with it being the same Western world, who are run by footballers run by venture capitalists and generally often not always right let me be very clear there are some orgs run by footballers that are done properly and i have all respect for them people with lots of money and no expertise and that is where problems start arising because you've got these players who you're bringing in the best players because you've got loads of money but you're not providing them with support they're 16 15 17 year olds With no support, with no mental support, no psychological support, which is horrible, horrible. Because you need, as a team, in Fortnite in particular, in any eSport, but in Fortnite in particular, with how young these kids are, you need that support network and you need to be a family for that player. Because no matter how great their family are, their real family, very few families understand what their son or daughter is doing. And that's a problem because then you don't have anyone to turn to or look after you or support you when you have an issue with it, and that's where the organisation should come in. But these orgs with just seven Fortnite players and two other teams and one person running it all, and then the footballer or the rich person, whoever it may be, just pumping a load of money in, are not sustainable and are problematic and aren't beneficial to the player, even though they might have paid them one grand a month more than the traditional org that yeah. was going to look after them and do them right
0: in fifa esports because that that's what i know more about i suppose in terms of esports you look at say text for example how he went he was at f2 um mm. i mean we, we we spoke to kojo the the talent manager at Fnatic about this and he was he was talking about text obviously was already one of the best players in the world but F two was that the right company for him? Probably not at that time. So going to Fnatic, he's just moved on to a different level in terms of his profile, how confident he looks with his streaming. He looks like a different, a different man. So that can that can have a real effect having the right organisation.
1: I think um, on the text thing, I don't want to speak about it too much in detail because I consider text a friend, and that's not my business to go into on a podcast. But I definitely agree that purely at face value, that anyone can look at. They didn't have esports staff. The F two as a company didn't have a manager and a psychologist and a coach for him. Which, when you're a 16 year old phenomenon like he was, I mean, it's not. We're not talking about a great player. We're talking about someone who everyone was looking at as, yeah, this is the guy. You need that support, and he didn't have it. As I say, this isn't me going into private details. This is clearly you could see it at Face Value. He didn't have that support all around. And I think it's great that he's at Fnatic now, which is somewhere where he's got Kojo, his manager. He's got Harry there, a teammate that he really likes and he's great friends with. Um, and he has that support network that you need from your organisation. Just to finish, then
0: i just wanted to talk about you really as well, just to get your kind of perspective. I mean, do you play FIFA? Are you playing different different games? What what are your uh, what what are your personal favourite games at the moment?
1: Do I play FIFA? Right now, it's now that we're back in lockdown, it's a lot of war zone with friends after work when I don't have events in the evening and stuff, which is the issue right now is I'm just working all day and then events in the evening. Warzone is the main one. I'll play FIFA occasionally, but um, when I was a coach previously to being a manager, I used to play a lot more FIFA. Now with how busy I am with management, I do try and watch FIFA to make sure I'm updated with what the pros are doing and um what the pros are doing, how we're gonna do it, just making sure that I can help out my players. I'm not able to sit down and analyze for hours like I could as a coach, but um, I'm trying to stay in the loop still so that I can help. In terms of watching an esport, my favorite esport to watch is Far and Away CSGO. Fantastic esport, big fan. Um, yeah, it's just a great esport. Um much better than FIFA, unfortunately, as an e-sport, much more entertaining and like a traditional sport in the team aspect of it, and how players will come and go from a team, but you support your team. Yeah, right now play mainly Warzone, bit of FIFA, watch FIFA for work. Don't enjoy watching FIFA much. Um, big fan of watching CS:GO competitive.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people say that kind of FIFA is the gateway to esports because. Obviously, it's so similar to football. It is, you know, virtual simulated football in a sense. So Mm. that's kind of easy to watch if you're a football fan.
1: That's actually a really big benefit to FIFA on the business side. And in terms of bringing orgs into it is that um, it's not the biggest viewership numbers. It's not the most exciting eSport. It doesn't have the most potential. But what it does have is it's the biggest sports simulator eSport. And if we're talking about, particularly during COVID, pardon me. Particularly when we had esports growing and traditional sports coming to a halt in COVID, and so many brands going panic, panic, panic. Uh, let's do esports. We've got no partner. We've got no um, advertising value right now. Let's partner with esports orgs. What esports do we go to? Ah, that one's easy to understand. FIFA, let's go.
0: Just as a final one, what do you think about the future of esports? It's a very open question, but are we talking, do you think esports will become more popular? with the increased detail and quality of the games, because obviously we've had the new next-gen consoles, PC gaming is getting better all the time. Do you think the more realistic games become, particularly with FIFA, for example, do you think the more respected it'll be, or do you have a different view on that?
1: Um, Well, I think this is a far bigger thing. I think one day esports will overtake traditional sports. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever about that. When that is, I don't know. And whether that's because esports is better than traditional esports, I also don't know. I don't know whether I'll see traditional sports be overtaken by esports in my lifetime. It's definitely possible. Um, Ocelot, of course, Carlos, the owner of D2, famously said, let a, let football clubs ignore us. In 10 years, I'll be buying them. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's It's really interesting, isn't it, where it'll go? But, I mean, there's no doubt that eSports is just getting bigger and bigger and there's more money being involved every year. In terms of, like, Fortnite, um, CSGO, League of Legends, I think there'll be another major eSport released over the next 5, 10 years where we'll really see it explode. I
1: definitely agree that we're due a huge one. I don't think Fortnite is that huge one. I think Fortnite's a huge game. I don't think it's due to be a huge eSport. Even if the viewership numbers are super high, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's huge competitive gaming. I don't truly consider Fortnite an eSport, but I do believe sort of CSGO style, Dota style, League of Legends style, we're due a timeless eSport soon um, that will last for decades like those ones have. Whether it's Valorant, I don't know. It's It's got the structure. It's got Riot at the head of it. Whether it's different enough to CS is a different matter. Whether people want something completely, entirely sort of unfathomable and new is a different matter. I think definitely Valorant is going to be a big eSport. You know, they've got Valorant, they've got Riot at the head of it. But I do think an issue with that is then the player salaries start um, rocketing. You know, player salaries in Valorant are incredibly high right now because everyone's backing it and think it has such great potential largely because it's riot running it um but as a result it then begins to become less viable and then less tier one orgs want to invest in it so it's an interesting cycle
0: it's been a fascinating chat so i really appreciate your time and um you've you've given a lot more time than than what i suggested so i really appreciate <laughs> I, really I hope we haven't
1: rambled for too long no
0: no it's it's been really fascinating to hear about what an esports exec at Man City does, um, how they manage the players and and looking at esports, the esports strategy whole as well. I think it's it's really interesting and there's a lot of people out there who would look at someone like yourself and not really know what you do. So it's great to hear from mm. you um, some specifics and, and to get an insight into that world as well. So really great to chat with you. I really appreciate you coming on and um, I wish you all the best. Thanks again for coming on.
1: The sky is definitely the limit for Man City Esports. Thanks for having me, it was a pleasure and have a good one.